0: You. My name is Wes McCain. and I'm the senior pastor here at Crosspoint, and uh, I'm blessed to call Point Baptist Church my church family. I want to thank you all for showing your appreciation to, to me and my family during this month of pastor appreciation. If you haven't done already, you still have time. <laughs> There's one more day left. I take Venmo, PayPal, all those other things my uh I'll, I'll just give you a give you a taste of the appreciation that i've experienced so far this morning my son who will not be named grant um on the way here said dad i don't want to be a police officer anymore i want to be a pastor police officers have a hard job (laughs) uh, I said okay uh, what what do you think I do and he said you just teach people the Bible and yell (laughs) well can't be appreciated more than your own children I appreciate you the best, so uh yes, I have a cushy job what my f- five year old thinks but i wanna i do wanna thank you. I take it as a joy to pastor you people here at cross Point. you make it a blessing to be um to be the congregation that I get to pastor. I thank you for the years that you have put up with me, the patience that you have shown me uh the mess of a person that I am, and yet you still receive me. And welcome me and show me so much grace and mercy, and I thank you for that, and I cannot say that enough. Um, in this month of pastor appreciation, I am so inc- incredibly appreciative of you, and um, so thank you. Well, we come to our text today in Exodus chapter 13, uh, and we will be looking at verses 1 through 16 in Exodus chapter 13, and our will walk through the book of Exodus, so once you find your place there in Exodus 13, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? 13 says this the lord said to moses consecrate to me all the firstborn whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of israel both of man and of beast is mine then moses said to the people remember this day in which you came out from egypt out of the house of slavery for by a strong hand the lord brought you out from this place no leavened bread shall be eaten Today in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory." You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you. You shall set apart to the Lord all that the first first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals, that all males, shall be to the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my own sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Let's pray. God, we can truly celebrate that today, but because it is by your strong and mighty hand, you saved us, you redeemed us, you reconciled us, you ransomed us, God, out of the pit of slavery to sin and death. God, out of darkness, you have brought us into light through the redeeming and work of Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you this morning that we come to this text of Exodus 13. I pray that by your spirit working in us, God, open up our eyes to see the beauties contained in your word, God, and that, Lord, it would bring strength to our hearts, edify us, God, and encourage and motivate us to go to be proclaimers of this great redemption that sinners can find only in Christ Jesus and God I pray right now for this church body that I am so thankful I get to pastor God it is an honor and privilege when you make a, a person a pastor and you give them a congregation of sheep that love their shepherd love their pastor and so I'm thankful for this congregation now God, I also do want to pray for those in our congregation who may be hurting or sick or having problems going on. I pray right now for Eric Jafrida, I pray for Michael Paul, I pray for Jerry Kingsley, who've all have had to experience death in the last couple of weeks, from grandfathers to grandmothers to even sisters, God. I pray right now in their grieving hearts as they continue to mourn over these losses that God, you would comfort them in this moment by your spirit and through your people and through the power of prayer and your word, that you would bring hope in the midst of death, God. You would remind them of these things. I pray right now for Diane Thomas and the Dunaways as they continue to get over different sicknesses, God, that you would be with them. Remind them that you are the great healer, that you have control over every fiber of our body, God. And so I pray, Lord, you would bring them healing and recovery quickly, Lord. I pray for our members meeting right after this service, that God, you would you would remind us of the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that we have in Christ Jesus together as we talk about the logistics and the different details of what goes on in the church so that we can united in one like-mindedness say, our goal is to make disciples for all nations, for the good of all people, and for the glory of God. And so I pray, be with our meeting. God, I pray that there would be no... No anger and no frustration, but God, we would be like-minded having one spirit, one savior, one God that unites us all. I pray, God, for the upcoming election on November 8th, that God, you hold the hearts of the rulers and the kings in your hand, and God, I pray that you would use the elections that we have in our country as a mechanism to bring righteousness and justice in our land, God. But knowing that no election is going to solve our biggest problem in this country, which is sin. It's sin, a problem that no ruler can fix, only Christ. And so, God, I pray that we would do our civic duty, that you would give us wisdom in the choices that we make. And that, God, we pray for righteousness to rule in this land, but a true and genuine righteousness that only comes through Christ Jesus. Lord, be with us now. Open up our minds and hearts to hear, to see all the things that you want for us to see in this text. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but I'm a man of routine. I don't like to get out of routine. I'm pretty... uh, pretty regimented in things. The first thing I'm going to do when I get up in the morning, you might be surprised by this. You might, oh yeah, we know you pray and you read your Bible. No, I drink coffee. Um, that, it just that That's the first thing that I have to do. Um, and so we, we get into these routines and many of you might be more strict than I am, but has anybody ever had the experience where something happened and it just knocks you out of routine for that day and then everything just went Chaotic, right? You didn't get the coffee in the morning. The kids stayed up all night. You didn't get the sleep that you needed. You didn't get to brush your teeth in the morning. Uh, you know, you just got out of routine. And so the rest of the day was just, it, it was long gone. It didn't have a chance, right? Because what routines do, routines, morning rituals like coffee, what they do for us is that they keep us aligned and kind of in order the rest of the day, right? They keep us in line and in order to what is right, to what is good, what is customary what is orderly and things like that and in exodus 13 1 through 16 god is giving instructions about feasts and rituals and ceremonies for a purpose for israel it's for a purpose and that all of these things the feast and the rituals and the ceremonies are to take place in order that it's in order to keep israel rightly aligned and committed to the lord As they leave Egypt. Is that as Israel continues this practice of the rite of the firstborn and the feast of unleavened bread and redeeming their sons? And is that all these things would help them remember what the Lord did for them? And by remembering these things, that they would continue steadfast to the Lord in the days ahead. And so I'm gonna give you three words that I think that you can remember today. Is first. Is consecration. What's the first word? Second word is this. It's recollection. What's the second word? Third word is redemption. What's the third word? So we have consecration, recollection, redemption. And this is what this is what God's instructions are all about, these three words in these 16 verses. It's about consecrating certain things to the Lord. It's about recollecting, remember certain things of what the Lord did and who he is. And then it's about redemption, about what actually the Lord did for Israel in Egypt and what the Lord has done for us in Christ Jesus. And so let's look at the first, the first word in these first two verses, consecration. Let's, let me read these first two verses again so that you can hear the imperative, the command that the Lord gives. It says, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. So he is telling Israel to consecrate to him something. And l- let, me, uh, let me just use an illustration. Cooper, would you come up here for a second? Come up here for a second. I don't know if you know this, but we have a celebrity. Not, just, not me, I, I know that you might get that. But uh, we have a celebrity in the room. And Cooper, Cooper Smith. So, I don't know if you know this, but there's actually a day named after Cooper in Ascension Parish. Did y'all know that? You didn't? Yeah, it's not really worth remembering. Uh, and so, Cooper, there is Cooper Smith Day, which is August 16th, is that right? August 16th. Put on. Your, go ahead and pull out your phone, pull on your calendars. Um, but it's, uh, it's been dedicated to Cooper because it's actually a great story. Is that Cooper Smith saved two kids from drowning on on that day? two kids drowning in a pool Cooper? I know this is very unlike Cooper to do something courageous and and but he jumps in and save saves these two kids from drowning and so in uh, and did you get a key to the city? Wow, where does that open? Bathrooms and stuff like that <laughs> so basically no, but Cooper out of his bravery uh and and, and Doing this valiant act is that the president of Ascension Parish said we want to dedicate a day to him. We want to set aside a day to remember this valiant act so that it'll encourage others to do similar things. And so I, I, I just want to use this as that uh, as a day. Is that it, August sixteenth is kind of consecrated for Cooper. Um, and so to set aside of hey this is what this is what courage looks like. This is what valiant valiancy looks like. It's what it looks like to be confident in a, in a very tumultuous situation. So I just want to bring Cooper up here so I can embarrass him. You can sit back down. I didn't mean for y'all to clap for him. But Cooper Smith Day, as I just said, is the president of Ascension Paris said, this is a day that's going to be held in honor of Cooper because of what he did. This is going to be a day that we set aside for him and name after him and things like that. And you know what that is? That is consecrating. That's what consecration is. It's to set aside something, to set it apart from any other day because of something significant and unique has happened on that day. That's what consecration is. It's to set something apart. And this is what the Lord is actually commanding Israel to do. Because of God's great deliverance in Egypt for Israel, they are to consecrate something to Him. The firstborn. And so consecrating is setting something apart it's devoting something it's submitting something it's dedicating something or even someone to God for God's use for God's purposes we see consecration happen in the rest of the Bible in Numbers chapter 7 the tabernacle is consecrated for the Lord for his use and for his pleasure to honor him and who he is in first kings 9 that the temple is then also consecrated by Solomon for God's use and God's pleasure and for his purposes, right? And now here, because of what God has done for them in Egypt, he's saying, consecrate to me the firstborn, and that is human and animal alike, whatever is the first to open up the womb, this is to be offered to the Lord, and he'll give some specifics details of, about this in verses 11 through 16, but this is a hefty request right? The firstborn of your agriculture, the firstborn of your animals, and even the firstborn of your sons. That's a huge, huge request, something that's very valuable to an Israelite. then. But this is not, this is not, um, I guess, so unique in the Bible to dedicate or consecrate people to the Lord, or even firstborns to the Lord. If you remember Hannah, when Hannah has Samuel, she prays this beautiful prayer and then she basically consecrates Samuel to the Lord's service. Listen to what this says, 1 Samuel 1 27 through 28. For this child I prayed, remember Hannah had, she struggled to have children and then the Lord opened up her her womb and the Lord has granted to me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as Samuel, he lives, He is lent to the Lord. He is consecrated. He is for the Lord's use and purposes. You know who else was consecrated to the Lord? Jesus. Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, actually quotes Exodus 13 here. Listen to this, Luke 22 through 23. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses they that's Mary and Joseph brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord every male who first opens the womb shall be holy consecrated to the Lord we're even seeing Jesus Christ our Lord be consecrated dedicated but why the firstborn why is asking why is the Lord asking for the firstborn of Israel why is he concerned about the firstborn why are the just the firstborn consecrated There's a couple of reasons, I think. First is this. He says this. Both of man and beast is mine. And he'll say something like this again in verse 12. All males shall be the Lord's. Why does he ask for the first one? Because it is his. These are his. He's declaring ownership over these things. Children and animals. And so... Their consecration of the firstborn is a symbol, it's an act of saying, these are yours, everything that we have is yours, our firstborn are yours, we don't own anything in this, everything is yours, this is your territory. It's kind of like somebody planting a flag in the ground, right? You know, another country plants the flag in the ground and says, this is, this is my area, this is my territory, this is my land, I own this thing, and this is what God's doing, he's saying, You consecrate your firstborn, and it's him planting the flag and says, because it is mine. Everything is mine. Even the firstborn of your flocks and of your children. It's God planting the flag in the ground, declaring his territory, his possession, his ownership. So why does Israel consecrate the firstborn? Because they're ultimately God's anyways. It's God's. Second reason why... they consecrate the firstborn. Is that as you know, the firstborn play a significant role already in the Exodus plague narratives, right? The last plague actually takes the firstborn of Egypt. God judged Egypt through the death of the firstborn while rescuing the firstborn of Israel. Because God spared Israel's firstborn, they now dedicate their firstborn as an act of thankfulness and remembrance, and worship to the Lord. So God saved Israel's firstborn in Egypt in the last plague, and now they dedicate their firstborn to him as an act of remembrance for them. Third is this, why do they consecrate things? Why do they set things apart? Well, it's another reminder of God's own holiness, or set-apartness, or sacredness, that they consecrate things to him, because God is ultimately the Holy consecrated one. He's the one set apart unlike anything other. And so now we consecrate things to him as a reminder that God is the most holy one. He is the one who is completely set apart. And last is this. Why does God ask them to consecrate their firstborn? Because it is a symbol of Israel's own submission and consecration to God. It's a symbol that they withhold nothing from the Lord. In consecrating their firstborn child, they are submitting themselves, everything of who they are, to the will of God. Listen to this quote from Douglas Stewart. He says it really well. He says, God's desire was that the Israelites recognize His right to ownership of the first and the best in whatever came to them in spoils of war, harvest, Offspring, it is necessary and beneficial that human beings recognize that God is superior to them. And the requirement of a ritual that reminded every Israelite of this by insisting on receiving their firstborn from them helped create the spiritual attitude of submission, so important for salvation, personal discipline, and blessing when they consecrate things to the Lord, they're reminding themselves, God is superior to me. And this is how my approach needs to be to him. I'm in a total attitude of submission to him, to the Lord. This is who I am. I'm giving everything over to the Lord. It is his, and this is my attitude. So for Israel, the consecration of the firstborn was just a symbol of what the entirety of their lives should be. One that is consecrated to the Lord. One that is set apart for the Lord. This is just a small act of doing that. Is that everything, cross point? everything that you have, everything that we have, everything of who we are, is the Lord's. And it's to be consecrated, dedicated, submitted to him. We actually don't own anything. It is the Lord's. And that's why we say these things when we give tithes and offerings. This money that we have is not our own, is it? It has been generously given to us by God. And now we are just giving it back to him when he's given to us, the steward. Is that church family? At? Is your entire life, every aspect and piece of Holy, dedicated, and consecrated to the Lord. Given over to Him. Because this is what He calls us to. He calls us, as Leviticus 20, verse 7 says, Consecrate yourselves to the Lord, therefore, and be holy. For I am the Lord your God. Romans 12, a verse that many of us are are familiar with, Romans 12, 1-2, is calling us to consecrate ourselves as sacrifices to the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Is that consecrating yourself to saying, I'm dedicating myself to be holy because God is holy? In my conduct, in my actions, in my speech, and my thoughts, it is all consecrated and dedicated to Him. All of this. And sometimes, I think if you're like me, there are many things in our own lives that we white-knuckle grip and say, I cannot give this over, I will not let this go, this is mine. We change Exodus 13 to say, "This, this thing is mine. God, it's not yours, it's mine.
1: And I will not hand it over
0: to you. And let me just say this. That's not a whole life wholly consecrated to the Lord. Because God is calling people to be wholly set apart for him. Because he is wholly set apart from everything. Maybe this old hymn will help you get this. It's an old hymn that you might remember. Take my life and let it be. Anybody remember that hymn? Written in the 1800s by... Francis Ridley uh, Havergal, And it says this. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Listen to this. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. This is a consecrated life. Cross point. Is your life wholly devoted to God in your homes, in your workplaces, in your church life, in your parenting, in your personal relationships? Can we say it is all the Lord's and is wholly consecrated and set apart for Him? And these instructions, this consecrated life, it stems from something. It stems from an active an active recollection a constant reflection on God's salvation because we've been saved now we want to consecrate ourselves to him this is point number two recollection recollection Um, it's a it's kind of a running joke that people have and making fun of me because I'm I'm anybody like me fearful of forgetting I hate when I forget things and so when, like if you call me for coffee or something like that or for lunch, I'll put it in my in my calendar. And then, you know that little tab in Google where you can set reminders, like a bunch of reminders to remind you of that. So I remind myself one hour before, two hours before, six hours before, 12 hours before, two days before, one week before. Maybe OCD. Uh but I'm just so afraid of forgetting, and and yeah, I think there's probably some other people in here. You know, I put sticky notes all over the place. You know, all mirrors and everything. I put, you know, if I'm if I need to bring something somewhere, I put it in front of the door, so that I can, there's no way I can leave the house without stumbling over whatever I'm bringing. Anybody so like this? Confess. Confession time. Don't lie to me. Right is that we're always constantly, constantly reminded of how forgetful we actually are, right? Isn't that crazy? The thing that I'm constantly reminded about is that I'm really forgetful. And so I, we take all these precautions so that we don't forget, put things in our way so we don't forget, right? We put all these reminders, sticky notes, so we don't forget. And Israel must also set up precautions so that they won't forget what happened to them in Egypt. And this is why Moses says in verse 3, look at this. He says, remember this day. Remember this day. Don't forget what's happened to you. Remember this day when you walked out of Egypt with your chest poked out and you had stuff in your hands, right? Remember those 430 years where you were oppressed and in slavery and put to death by the Egyptians. Remember how the Lord intervened with a strong hand. You see that, how that, many times that phrase happens in these 16 verses? The Lord's strong hand intervened and saved them from this house of slavery. Remember this day when you walked out of Egypt because God intervened and brought you out. That's what he wants them to do. Remember this day. Remember it. It's like God is asking them to look at their wedding pictures so that they will remember what happened that day. Remember the vows that they had made. Remember Remember what they actually were promising that day. That's what, that's what God is saying. Don't, don't forget. Look back on this day constantly. Look back on this day. And cross one, I would just say this to all of us. Don't forget what the Lord saved you from. How the Lord saved you. What the Lord saved you to, and what you contributed to that salvation, which is nothing. Nothing. Don't forget where God saved you from. He saved you from the pit of hell. On a trajectory for death and destruction, from the coming wrath, God snatched you out of it. And that he saved you by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to be sacrificed on the cross in your behalf, taking your place so that you wouldn't have to die that death. And that he saved you to a purpose so that you would worship and obey him for the rest of your life and consecrate yourself over to him. This is what the Lord did. Don't forget these things. Remember these things. And that by remembering these things, it would stir in you a renewed sense of commitment to the Lord. This is what we need right now, right? Is that we can sometimes in our lives grow cold, grow complacent. It's because we don't remember what the Lord has done for us. And so we are constantly called to recall these things so that it will stir in us a renewed sense of commitment to the Lord just as when we look at our wedding pictures it should stir a renewed sense of commitment to our spouse when you look at those pictures and you say i can't believe we wore that i can't believe i did my hair like that look at my bridesmaids look at my groomsmen man who picked those colors you did right but then you look at the picture where you're standing before the pastor and you're giving your vows and you're reminded in that moment, say, look what, look at the promises I made. Look at the vows that I made to you that day. I'm going to continue to keep them. And that's what God is calling Israel to do. Remember so that you can have a renewed sense of commitment to me. Remember constantly. Remember how I saved you. Remember where you came from. Remember what I did to save you. Because sometimes we grow cold and complacent to the Lord and to our commitment to the Lord because we don't think God really did very much for us in the first place. And this is what Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1. Consider your calling. Remember where you came from. I think I said that a couple weeks ago. Brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise god chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong god chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of god remember where you came from remember who you are before christ because sometimes we grow cold and complacent because we think i was pretty good i wasn't really that bad and God didn't really do that very much to save me. Remember, you're dead in sins. In the house of slavery to your sin and bondage. On your way to hell. And God, through Christ Jesus, snatched you. Remember these things. And God is not only calling them to recollect things, but he also tells them that he remembers things too. Look at this in verse 5. God remembers things too, and he perfectly remembers these things. God remembers and reminds Israel of the promises that he made to Abram back in Genesis chapter 12 when he says, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, and I'm going to make you tons of offspring. Is that even though a lot of time has passed since when I said that, I still keep my promises. I still keep my vows. I don't forget these things, all right? Though Israel forgets a lot of times their commitment to the Lord, the Lord does not forget his commitment to them. Same thing as for you. Sometimes when we forget our commitments to the Lord, he does not forget his commitment to us. Praise God, right? And that these instructions that they're to keep about these feasts, look at this, verse 5, you shall keep this service in this month. They saying, look, the feast of unleavened bread and the firstborn rites and things like that, you are to keep these perpetually. Is that You just don't keep them right here or in the wilderness. You're supposed to be doing this for years to come, especially, especially when you get into the land of promise. Now, why would he put the emphasis there of like, hey, you need to do this when you get into the land that I promised you, of the Amorites, the Perizzites, all, all, all the ites, right? Why? Because he knows when life gets easy in the promised land, what do you think they will do? Forget when life gets easy in the promised land and everything's nice and you're you know you're you're uh, you know you're in milk and honey and things like that, I always think of the Veggie Tales episode right there. They uh, when the the veggies are uh, they're in the land of promise and they're sliding on pancakes and syrup and stuff like that. I don't know why I always remember that, but they're in a good land and it will be easy to for them to forget what God has done when life gets easy, right? And this is what he's warning them about. They are to keep the feast to remind them, even when things get easy, that God still saved them, that they are to do these feasts in good times and in bad, because it will be a temptation for them to forget these instructions and ultimately forget God when they get into the land, because when it gets easy, it's always easier to forget God. And then God becomes like an ambulance in some sense. Where when you have a problem, or when you get into a crisis, or when something comes up that's really terrible, guess what? That's when you start calling on the Lord. That's when you start doing these feasts over again, Israel. When things get bad and when war is around you. Doesn't that sound like us sometimes? When all seems right, we don't pray, we don't worship. We don't read the Bible, we don't confess sin, we don't thank God. But when the bottom drops out in our life, then we start to get serious. That is not a life wholly consecrated to God. He's saying, when you get into the land, Israel, you continue to keep these feasts, because it will get easier and easier for you to forget God. And let me just say this to Cross Point. If we are supposed to set our lives apart, be holy unto the Lord, consecrated unto the Lord, That does not mean that we untether ourselves from the Lord, from communion with the Lord, when life gets easier. No, actually, that's when you should more engage with the Lord, because of the temptation it is to forget God. The consecrated life that the Lord calls us to is one that is constantly tethered in communion with and committed to God, whether in feast or in famine, in poverty or in plenty, in good or bad. And these rituals, these rituals must be passed down and practiced, not just by them, but by the coming generations. We've already seen this theme already in the book of Exodus. You shall tell your son on that day, in verse 14, and when the time comes and when your son says, what does this mean? So there's going to come a day and a time in Israel's life when the kids are going to be like, why are we eating this lousy bread? In the month of Abib, why are we eating this bread? Why do we got to eat it for seven days? And why can't there be no leavened bread around us? And, and why are we, why are we con- consecrating our firstborn lamb? Why, why are we doing that every time this comes around? What, what is the point of these things? And in that moment right there, the parent's supposed to speak up and say, here's why we do it. We do it because God redeemed us from the land of Egypt. God did that. They are communicating and transmitting the faith onto the next generations. What the Lord has done should be everywhere. I, I love this. The, the feast and the consecration of the firstborn, it's a sign for them. Look at verse 9. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. And look at verse 16. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. It's supposed to be everywhere. It's supposed to be talked about constantly. In front of your eyes, written on your hands, in your mouth, all these things. So that you will never forget what the Lord has done. And Look, I I actually kind of like WWJD bracelets. I don't know about you, but I kind of like WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? Anybody remember the big fad of WWJD bracelets? We should bring it back. Um, Because I actually think it's very close to what this is actually talking about. Is that people get into a situation, this is how they use WWJD bracelets, they get into a situation, a hard situation, and they look down like, what would Jesus do right in this moment? I don't think that's a bad question to ask. But it's a sign, that bracelet on their hand is a sign to remind them of scriptural truths, to remind them of who Christ is and what he has done. And this is what God is instructing Israel to do, put it everywhere around you, put Put it on your hands, put it right before your face, write it on your doorpost, everywhere, so that your children and you will never forget these things. Never forget. Right? Look, I, you know, if I get in a car wreck, I know who I'm gonna call. Who are you gonna call? Gordon, right? You know why you're gonna call Gordon? Because you see his billboards everywhere, you hear his commercials everywhere. They're everywhere. You cannot drive down the interstate and not see Gordon gets it done, right? But it's a a good marketing tactic, right? You will never forget. And this is what Israel is instructed to do. Put it everywhere around you. Put it everywhere around you, the law of the Lord. Do these feasts as a sign, as a continual remembrance of who the Lord is. Jim preached this a couple weeks back, on Deuteronomy 6. It says this, and these words I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house, and on your gates. The Proverbs say, take the commandments and put them on like a necklace, so that you'll always have them with you. And so The ritual of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Rite of the Firstborn is a constant reminder of the salvation they've experienced by the strong hand of the Lord. It was to be an instrument that they used to never forget who saved them, how He saved them, and what He saved them from. And I know when we hear the word rituals and things like that, Sometimes bad connotations come up into our mind. Many of you may have come from different backgrounds where rituals are just bad. And let me just say this. There are rituals that are bad, right? And they become bad because we do rituals just for tradition's sake, right? There's really no substance to them. We just do them because we do them because our parents did them, our grandparents did them, their grandparents did them, their grandparents did them, and they really don't have any significance for them. So we just do things for tradition's sake. We do rituals for that. Or we do rituals because we think that we will somehow gain some favor, some grace, some salvation from doing them from God. Let me just say this. If those are the two things that make rituals bad, they are bad. They are bad if they have those two meanings. But when rituals are done as an act of worship out of a love for the one who has saved us and view it as an instrument to help us remember then rituals are good things. We do rituals. You may not want to call. When we come here on Sunday mornings, it's a ritual. We do this, we worship together. And we take the Lord's Supper once a month. It is a ritual that we do together. When you get up in the morning and you drink your coffee and you read your Bible and you pray, that is a ritual. Rituals are not bad. We, let's use a different word. Spiritual disciplines. If everybody's okay with that one. Spiritual disciplines. Why do we do these things? Why do we come together every Sunday morning? Why do we meet in home groups? Why do we do discipleship? Why do we worship together? Why do we do Sunday school together? Why do we do any of these things? Because we have a tendency to forget. And so every time we come back together, we get together. We're reminding ourselves of who we are, what God has done to save us, what he saved us from, and what he saved us to. Rituals are good things. So let me just say this. Here's some good rituals for you. Memorize scripture. Make it a ritual. Make it a habit. Hang it up everywhere. Put it up in your homes. Talk about it in your car, at the dinner table. Put it on your mirrors everywhere. Put it up in your shower. Put it on the dashboard of your car, on your computer screen. So that everywhere you are flooded with the Bible. Everywhere you look, you're flooded with the Bible. And that constantly talk about these things. Constantly talk about these things with your children, with the people around you, with your friends, with your workplace friends, with your family members, with your neighbors, anybody. Talk about these things. Because what Deuteronomy 6 says here and what Exodus 13 says is that it should never be abnormal for us to talk about what God has done. It's not abnormal. It's not weird. It's not rare. Right? So that our kids may not say, or our friends may not say, why are, we, why are you talking about these things? They can say, this is just, that's what this person talks about all the time. All they do is talk about the Bible. All they do is talk about what Jesus did for them. Crosspoint family, this is what I hope for us. This is what I hope for us. Myself and us. Is that we as a body of Christ, when we gather together and then when we're separated it would not be abnormal for us to talk about Jesus with one another and out there with unbelievers in our workplaces. It's not awkward after Bible study or after the Sunday morning sermon to t- ask somebody, hey, uh, what's Jesus doing for you right now? How are you living for Jesus right now? What sin are you struggling with right now? What can I pray for you right now? That it would never come to a point like, hey, why are you asking me that? That's weird. This is just what we do. We talk about Jesus. This is my hope for us. Is that we would put it up everywhere. That it would become commonplace to have and normalized to have gospel conversations in the church and in other places. And the feature that moves us to our third point, that the reason... We consecrate ourselves over to the Lord. The reason and the thing that we are trying to re- recollect and remember is the third point is this, redemption. This is why we consecrate ourselves to the Lord. This is why what we are trying to recollect and remember. You remember the old adage, nothing in the world is what? Free, right? there's nothing free, nothing free in this world. Everything has a cost, right? There's always a cost. And what the Lord will say in verses 11 through 16 is that the consecration of the firstborn through sacrifice is a reminder that God purchased Israel at a high cost. The instructions for the consecration begin in verses 11 through 16. And he talks about how you go about consecrating things. He's already given the command in verses 1 through 2. Consecrate. And now, he says, How? Are you to do these things? And the emphasis, if you see, in all these verses here, is the word redeem. Redeem. Is that you will have to redeem your donkey, the firstborn of a donkey, and the firstborn among your sons you shall redeem. And we know, I think in our day, we know what redemption is. Redeeming something, to redeem something means to pay something off to to get it back or offer something in this place to to get it returned. A payment or a substitution has to be made. And here in this situation is that they are instructed to redeem the firstborn of their donkey. And here's the the way that they do that is that they redeem it through giving a lamb in its place, that they offer or sacrifice a lamb so that the donkey is not. And then the firstborn of the sons is also redeemed as well. And they're not redeemed through a sacrifice, they're redeemed through paying uh, paying a number of shekels. And you see that in the book of Numbers, how much they were to pay to redeem the firstborn sons. And so in this situation with Israel, they're to redeem the donkey and they're to redeem the firstborn son. One through a substitution and the other through a payment, through a price that is to be paid. And the sons, again, will ask a question. Why do we do this? Why are we sacrificing a lamb so that we can redeem our donkey? Or why are you having to pay money and give money to redeem me, Mom and Dad? Why do you do this? And the parents will say, the reason will be that God redeemed them from Egypt. And the firstborn of the Egyptians was the substitution or the redemption price for the firstborn of Israel. That this ritual of redeeming the firstborn its a symbol, it's a reminder of the redemption they received in Egypt. This act of redeeming the donkeys and the sons is undergirded by the redemption that God brought them out through the firstborn. That instead of Israel's firstborn being judged, and being put to death, is that the firstborn of Egypt was the substitute. That they were redeemed, they were brought out. God purchased them out through sacrifice out of Egypt. And this is significant. This lays the ground for the road ahead. For what God not only did in Egypt, he will do many years later through another sacrificial lamb. Through another redemption price, that being Christ Jesus. The way the Bible will present what Christ has done on behalf, the Bible will use words like redemption and ransom. That Christ came and he redeemed us. He ransomed us from the bondage of slavery to sin. Through his own substitutionary death of his own life. Listen to what the Bible says. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ redeemed us. And the way he did it is he substituted. He took our place. He took the punishment. He redeemed us because he took the curse so that we wouldn't have to take the curse on us. Titus 2.14, He, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works, is that His redemption was a price to bring us out of something, lawlessness and sin. Hebrews 9.15, Therefore, He, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred. That's Christ's death. That redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Christ. Christ has come. He is now this Lamb that purchases us and substitutes Himself for us in our sins. And this morning, what you need, if you came in here, What you need most is not a happier life. What you need most is not a new car, new job, new family, new spouse, new situation altogether. What you need this morning is to be redeemed. You need to be purchased. Because right now, if you are apart from Christ, you are in the bondage of slavery to sin. You are under its power. And by your own power, you cannot get out. You need a sacrifice. You need a substitute. You, on the last day, there will be one of two options. On the last day when you stand before the judge, you will either stand and be held accountable for your sins as the sacrifice, or you will stand redeemed because a sacrifice has already been given to you in Christ Jesus Himself. Which one will you be? Because if you stand alone with no sacrifice, judgment is coming. But if you stand redeemed by the blood of Christ, judgment has already been placed on Christ for you. This morning, I ask, please don't walk out of this place thinking that you're okay to stand by yourself on judgment day. Because you're not. You need, you need a substitute. You need someone to stand in your place. And that is only Christ Jesus. And this morning, if you are in Christ, what does this all have to do for you? Well, the redemption that we have received in Christ Jesus, it enables and it undergirds our holy consecrated life. This morning, if you are in Christ Jesus, and you're saying, how do I have a consecrated life? Remember this, is that if you're in Christ, you have everything you need to live consecrated and holy to the Lord. So why do you strive to be holy? Because you've been redeemed. And Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians 6, when he's talking about sexual immorality and how we use our bodies. And he says this, here's here's how he supports what he's saying. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God you are not your own where have we heard that before exodus 13 it is the Lord's and then he says this in verse 20 for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your bodies so why should you glorify God with your life and in your bodies and how you use your bodies why should you live holy why should you live in holy conduct Why should you care about what you say, what you do, what you think, who you are? Because you were bought with a price. Glorify God. This is it. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, are you living a life that is consecrated to the Lord, that says, I've been set apart by God. I've been set apart by God to live holy. Because God is holy, and because God has redeemed me at a very high price morning i want to invite the band back up here this morning to lead us out in worship and if you're here this morning and you don't know christ jesus myself jim caleb we would love to speak with you after the service to tell you this a price has been paid so that you can be redeemed would you this morning repent of your sins and trust in jesus the only sacrificial substitutionary redemption price and if you're a christian this morning and you're struggling right now I'm not even going to pretend that we all came in here all nice and fit and ready and not a mess. Because I know I am. This morning, we're not meant to walk alone. We're not meant to walk alone. It's okay that you might be a mess, but the Lord does not want you to stay in a mess. That's why He has given us His Spirit and His Word and the church. This morning, if you are struggling, if you're a believer walking through a difficult situation... Come speak with one of us. We would love to walk with you through that and to help you in this journey of faith as you seek to live a consecrated life to the Lord. Let's pray. God, we love you. You are a holy God worthy of all worship and praise and honor and glory. God, by your spirit, because of the price that has been paid on our behalf through Christ Jesus, may we live a life that is holy and pleasing to you. Christ's name we pray these things.